All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here this morning. We want to be in prayer for many in our church family because the uh, sickness that must not be named is making its way around Fresno. And there's many that are out this morning, so if you're watching with us online, thanks for tuning in, probably in the comfort of your own bed, and I don't blame you, because on a foggy morning like this, that's a good place to be. But church is a better place to be if you can, so thanks for being here. Uh, This morning, we are going to conclude our journey through the book of Philippians. And every week, I've been incredibly thankful for the way that the Holy Spirit has carried us through what has been probably one of the most difficult seasons that we've ever faced as a church family. And each week, I've just been continually amazed at how the Holy Spirit is just giving us exactly what he needs or what we need from his word. And as I consider the last 20 sermons, I'm so grateful for the solidifying work that God has done in all of our hearts, but in my heart as I've uh, been doing these studies and bringing these messages. And I'm excited to wrap it up this morning with the last three verses of the book. Uh, But before we do that, I do want to talk about a few things that we have coming up next. Of course, next Sunday, we will begin our annual revival uh, series, our revival um, messages uh, with Brother John Van Gelderen, revival services, that's the word I was looking for, uh, with Brother John Van Gelderen. He'll be here with us, and we're going to take several extra evenings just to sit under some extra preaching, and those services will start next Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., We'll also have a Sunday evening service at 5 p.m. That's something a little bit different for us, but I'm excited about that. And then also Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night at 7 p.m. as well. And if you're coming straight from work, we will have dinner at those services available for you. It won't be anything fancy, uh, but it will be food. It will be pizza, and it will be good, and it will bless you. Uh, Probably not long-term, but you'll feel good as you're eating it. So if you're coming straight from work or if you've got little kids, let me encourage you just to come on out. We'll get dinner taken care of each night. Let me encourage you to make those services a priority if you are at at all able to. Uh, Those extra evenings are going to give the Holy Spirit just some space to work in our hearts and point us toward Jesus, and I'm excited about what he's going to do in those. I'd also encourage you, if you're at all possible, to make it out to our Wednesday prayer service this week at 6.30 p.m. We're dedicating that prayer service to pray for our revival services coming up, and we're just going to take some time this Wednesday to ask the Holy Spirit to work on our hearts during those meetings. So if you're able to, let me encourage you to make it out to that as well. Then the last Sunday of the month, the 30th, so this week we're finishing Philippians. Next week we're beginning our revival services. The last Sunday of January, which is the 30th, we're going to begin a brand new series on church membership. And in that series, we're going to be looking at what is church membership? Where do we get that concept from Scripture? Uh, We're going to take several messages to work through our church's statement of faith, So we can all know this is what we believe as a church family. We'll also take a few messages to look at our membership covenant. And my prayer is is that this series will give us all a very clear understanding of this is what membership is here at Fresno Church. And I'm also praying that it will give us a fresh start as we seek to move forward in what God has for us. That Sunday, we will also be restarting our Connection Group Bible Study. So let me encourage you to come on the 30th. We're going to kick off that brand new series And then we'll all have a chance to be intentional about jumping in to Christian community. So definitely some things to look forward to and to be praying about. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you one more time to turn to the book of Philippians, chapter number 4. The text that we are going to be looking at this morning is the last three verses, verses 21, 22, and 23. And what I love about the book of Philippians, like many of Paul's writings, is that it ends in much of the same way as it began, with the grace of our Lord Jesus. Now, these verses here at the end of uh, Philippians, or at the end of a lot of epistles, are pretty easy to skip over because they seem so routine. 
It's easy to think, well, this is just what Paul says at the end of the book, so let's just move on to what's next. But if we skip these verses, we actually miss what God is doing. And so let's read all of Philippians chapter number four here together, and then we will jump into these last four verses, the last message in our Philippians series. Philippians chapter four, beginning of verse number one. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because you once again renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray, then we will jump into our final message in this series. Father, I pray that the spirit, your spirit, your Holy Spirit, Lord, would anoint the preaching of your word this morning. I pray that it would be good news to those who are poor. I pray that your word this morning would heal those who are brokenhearted. As we consider the grace that you have given us, Lord, specifically in the book of Philippians, I pray that your word, that your grace would be liberty to those who are captive. I pray that it would be freedom to those who are prisoners, maybe in the bondage of their sin. Lord, I pray that they would realize that your grace is the freedom. It provides the freedom from that, their sin that they need. Lord, I pray that as we 
conclude this book this morning, that we would recognize your grace is always with us. And that as we leave here this morning, I pray that the grace we've seen throughout the book of Philippians would not be forgotten here in this room, but that it would, like the church of Philippi, go with us. I pray that we would believe that your grace is always with us. Lord, I pray for those who couldn't be here this morning because they were sick. Lord, I pray that you would heal them. I pray that you'd bring them comfort. I pray that they would uh, find encouragement in your word as they gather online this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. Now, verses 21 and 22 seem to be very routine verses in Scripture. It appears that Paul is basically saying, hey, say hi to each other, and everyone here says hello. I mean, look at verses 21 and 22. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greeting. All the saints send you greeting, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. But what Paul is actually doing in these two verses is he's actually calling us into intentional fellowship. That's our first thought this morning. We are called to intentional fellowship. Now, I want to be clear before I unpack these verses. I want to be upfront and say these verses do not include the sum total of everything that is considered in Christian fellowship, but they do include an important piece of Christian fellowship, and we see the intentionality of what we're being called to. Notice the way Paul says, greet every saint. This word greet is a command. This is given to the entire church at Philippi, and it's given to all of us as believers who read it. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Now, the word greet is more than just saying hello. It means to salute or to embrace. It means to receive joyfully or welcome. It means to draw one to oneself. So the idea is that we're rejoicing that we're seeing each other. We're being happy. We're welcoming each other. We're drawing one another to one another. The idea is that you're being intentional about recognizing and seeing the person you're greeting. It communicates to that person that they matter to you. This is so much more than just that kind of awkward head nod you do to your neighbor while you walk into the street. You know how it goes. You're just looking down the road while you're walking to the mailbox. You see somebody in your peripheral, and you're just like, and you just keep on going. I don't know if that's a white person thing. That's the only people I ever see do it. But this is so much more than what we do when we just kind of acknowledge somebody's there, right? Paul is saying, hey, I want you to extend this hospitable recognition. When he says greet one another, it's I see you. You matter to me. I'm rejoicing that you're here. We are together in one spirit. Now, Paul is also very specific with the object of this command by saying, greet every saint. He very easily could have said, greet the whole church, but that's not what he said. He said, greet every saint. This shows us that Paul wants to make sure everyone is seen and welcomed, and he wants everyone to know that they matter because they matter to God. And because this saint matters to God, they should matter to us. God doesn't want people in the church kind of fading into the background. I've seen a lot of Facebook posts recently that'll kind of get at the heart of this message, and they'll say things like, when you see somebody in church sitting by themselves, that's, that's a crisis. We need to go to that person. And I think, maybe, but it also may just be an introvert, <laughs> you know? But the idea is here, God doesn't want people in the church just fading into the background. God wants to make sure that everyone is seen. And so Paul calls us into this intentional welcoming and valuing every saint who is in Christ. And the command is to all of us. It's not just to the leadership. It's not just to the people on the greeter team. It's not just to the pastors or the elders. Paul says, I want every, you, all of you, to greet every saint. 
Greet every saint. And boy, isn't that word saint a special word? We saw at the beginning of this series what that word means. The word saint has a twofold meaning. Saint reminds us of our position in Christ, doesn't it? You are a saint. You have been made holy. You have been set apart by the finished work of Christ on the cross. The word saint reminds us of our standing with God. We're blameless before him. It reminds us of our identity. we're, we're, We're his children. We have been made new. We've been adopted into the family. It reminds us of our security. We're forever secure because Jesus has given us his perfect righteousness. I can't sin away his imputed righteousness. I can't lose what he has freely given me. We didn't earn this position. We didn't earn the right to be called saints, but Jesus Christ earned it for us and gave it to us. Not because we're so great, but for the glory of his name and because of his great love for us. We are saints in Christ. We don't achieve this through our works of righteousness, but by faith. But this word saint also reminds us of how we're called to live. Holy. Set apart. Set apart for God and for his purposes. And we've seen throughout this book of the Bible how we are to progressively look more and more like Jesus. That word saint, that title, that's our position. It also reminds us of how we are to more and more be looking like Jesus. It reminds us of how more and more our position in Christ is to be, uh, is to be reflected in the way we live our lives. And what I've loved about this book is we have seen the goal Paul calls us to, right? Christ, looking like Christ, living like Christ. But then we've also acknowledged we also got a long way to go in this. Paul repeatedly says, I haven't arrived. But we're all pursuing that goal of Jesus. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. But after Paul calls this church at Philippi into this intentional aspect of fellowship, he then demonstrates how the saints that he is with are acknowledging the church at Philippi. And I love this because there's something so special about knowing that you have brothers and sisters around the world who are standing with you in your faith, isn't there? It's like Paul is saying, the saints here love you guys. Church at Philippi, I know it's difficult there, but you're not alone. You're not alone there in Philippi. The saints here, they see you, they love you, they're praying for you, they're greeting with you, they are standing with you. They are extending this hospitable recognition. They know what you're going through. They see you and they greet you. He then goes on to say, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. And this is so neat because this brings a truth that we learned back in chapter 1, full circle. Chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says, or yeah, chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I'm in Christ. When Paul says that, it's almost this outlandish statement when he says his imprisonment is actually advancing the gospel. We tend to think of it as the other way around in our Western mentality. We think, oh man, Paul's in jail. I mean, the gospel mission is just, it's done. But Paul's like, no, 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 no. My suffering, my imprisonment, my house arrest is actually advancing the gospel. And now here at the end of the book, we see how his imprisonment has led people in Caesar's household to coming to Christ. Because of Paul's suffering, because of his imprisonment, the people in Caesar's household saw that Jesus is real. These people saw a living demonstration of the surpassing value of Jesus. They in real time saw how God can use all things for good, for his glory. This verse is like the Apostle Paul giving this church at Philippi the rest of the story treatment, like Paul Harvey. 
Now you know the rest of the story. And so he makes this crazy claim, my suffering, my persecution, it's actually advancing the gospel. And then he shows the church at Philippi. There's people in Nero's home, in his household, that are now coming to Christ. And here we have the gospel bearing fruit right in the middle of one of the most evil dynasties history has ever shown us. And these brand new saints are now united in spirit with the church at Philippi. We're called to intentional fellowship. But notice also verse 23. Verse 23 says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So yes, we're called to intentional, intentional fellowship, but we're also reminded of sustaining grace. Paul begins this letter with grace to you, and then he ends this letter with grace be with you. In the second verse of the book, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So as the church begins reading this divinely inspired letter, this letter that Paul wrote, but the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write. So yes, Paul is writing this church, but really this is the Holy Spirit speaking to this church and to this church and to every church that has ever read it. Grace to you. So as they read this letter, grace is being imparted unto them. As they read this word from the Lord, Paul says, you are receiving grace. This is grace coming towards you. And after they read this letter, and assumingly they leave, that same grace goes with them. Everything you've learned in this book of the Bible is now going with you, Paul says. All these truths that you have learned, all the sustaining grace that you've learned about and you've received, it is now going with you. You see, the grace of Jesus Christ isn't something that we only experience in a certain location. It's not something that we only experience on certain days of the week. I can remember a few weeks ago when we were in Manhattan sitting in St. Patrick's Cathedral. And I'll be honest, it felt like a religious experience. It was amazing. You're sitting there in that architecture in this beautiful church building and you feel something. But what Paul is telling us is the grace of Jesus Christ is not limited to a location. It goes with you. The grace of Jesus Christ be with you if you're in Christ. God's sustaining grace is always with you. Now, before we look at some of the ways we've seen this grace, specifically in the book of Philippi, I want to make a few remarks about grace in general. First of all, grace is the undeserved favor of God. It is God's undeserved favor. Grace is the reason we can be saved. Ephesians tells us that we're saved by grace. Our eternal lives depend on grace, and I'm so eternally thankful that God is a God of grace. Grace is the disposition of the heart of God to treat sinners better than they deserve. Grace is God's undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor. But we also see throughout Scripture how grace is the power for right living. It's not only the disposition of God's nature to treat us better than we deserve, but it's the driving force in our lives that makes us more like Jesus. The undeserved favor of God overflows in our lives and it supplies us with everything we need to live like Jesus. Grace is the word that uh, the writer of Hebrews uses to describe the throne of God. Hebrews 4.16. The Bible says, let us approach the throne of grace. The very seat of God is described as grace. And he says, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find what? Grace to help in time of need. 
And just like this letter was grace to help in time of need for the church at Philippi, it's been grace to help us in our time of need, hasn't it? We've seen throughout this little book how his grace sustains us in our suffering. Probably one of my favorite verses of this whole book is chapter 1, verse 6. And specifically throughout chapter 1, Paul talks a lot about his suffering, but in 1, 6, he says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What a comfort that's been as we've walked through our own difficulties. The grace of God is with us when we are hurting. The grace of Jesus is carrying us. It's sustaining us through those dark times. This verse reminds us that we're not going to be abandoned or forsaken, but God is going to finish what he started in each and every one of us. This reminds us that our current struggle is not the sum total of who we are, and it gives us an eternal perspective because it lifts our eyes from this small moment, and it lifts our eyes towards the big picture of eternity. And Paul could say, I am sure of this. Take it to the bank. This is the most secure thing. He's like, I am sure that he, Jesus, who started that good work in you, will carry it on to completion. As Paul seeks to encourage this church in their suffering and in his own suffering, he reminds them that God is not done with you. His grace will continue to sustain you. I'm sure of it. The sustaining grace is why, in part, Paul could say in chapter 1, verses 21, uh, 20 and 21, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, that my life will honor Christ. He will be highly honored in my body, whether by my living or by, by dying, whether by my life or death, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The sustaining grace of Jesus was so real to Paul that he realized even if his life were to end, that would be gain because that would mean more Jesus. That would mean the fulfillment of all the sustaining grace that he had been receiving. And, his life, and if his life continued, if he continued suffering, if he continued living, Paul says, I can do that with joy and confidence and courage and hope because he knew no matter what suffering he would face, he was secure in Christ. That Christ was going to finish what he started. The grace of God will sustain you in your suffering. This is the grace that is with us, church. But we've also seen throughout this book, specifically in chapter number two, how the grace of God will sustain us in our serving. Look at the first four verses of chapter two. Paul says, if there's any encouragement in Christ... It's a rhetorical statement. Yes, there is. If there's any consolation of love. Yes, there is. If there's any fellowship with the Spirit. Yes, there is. If there's any affection and mercy. Yes, there is. He says, make my joy complete by thinking the same way. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should, not, everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That sounds like some intense service, doesn't it? <laughs> look out for other people just as much as you look out for yourself. But then in chapter 2, Paul showed us why we can serve like that. The reason? Jesus. Jesus. Only Jesus. We saw how Jesus emptied himself and assumed the form of a servant. And because Jesus emptied himself and assumed the form of a servant because of what he did, we could shine as lights in the world, chapter 2 goes on to tell us. Because the grace of God is sustaining us, because the grace of God is always with us, we can, like Paul, 
pour ourselves out in the sacrificial service of others. I love that picture. It's a picture of just pouring out a cup. Paul says, I'm pouring myself out for you. That's the type of service that the grace of God sustains us for. The grace of God gives us the spiritual energy that we need to follow Jesus and to live for the glory of God and for the good of others. We are never without exactly what we need in order to serve God. Because the grace of God sustains us in our serving. It's easy to feel overwhelmed by the weight of the Christian life. But God has not left us alone to carry that weight. His grace sustains us. His grace empowers us. His grace enables us. And when we are living in dependence on his grace, we can experience what Jesus said, a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. So many times we feel inadequate, and that's because apart from Christ we are. But in Christ, we are never without the enabling grace of Jesus to live a life of sacrificial service. We are never without the ability to do what God has called us to do. We are never without the ability to do what Scripture tells us is right. And so we don't have to buckle under the weight of the commands that we often see in Scripture because as we're so often reminded, His grace, His supernatural divine enabling is what allows us to live that way. This is the grace that is with us, church. Grace that sustains us in our suffering. Grace that sustains us in our serving. But then as we saw throughout chapter 3, His grace also sustains us as we pursue our Savior. Chapter 3 was good, wasn't it? I loved chapter number 3. In chapter 3, we saw over and over and over again the surpassing value of Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at chapter 3, verse 8. The Bible says, More than that, I also consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value, the value that is far and above anything else, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. Now, pursuing Jesus above all else sounds a bit intimidating. Our flesh fights that a little bit. And in honest moments, it's difficult to consider everything a loss, but that's where the grace of Jesus comes in again and again and again. We don't have to fear what we might lose as we pursue Jesus because Jesus will sustain us with his grace. That's why Paul could say, I count it all as dung. That's a pretty crude word when you look it up in the Greek, and Paul says it's nothing. He says in verse 12 of chapter 3, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. And what the grace of Jesus does is it leads us to recognize how amazing and how wonderful God is. And when we recognize how amazing and how wonderful, and when we see the surpassing value and worth of Jesus Christ, we can just leave it all behind in pursuit of him. Because we know his grace is going to sustain me as I pursue Jesus. We can make every effort to pursue him because his sustaining grace holds us. Like Paul says, because I've been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. This is the grace that's with us, church. His grace sustains us in our suffering, in our serving. It sustains us as we pursue our Savior. And lastly, his grace sustains us as we stand. First verse of chapter number four, let's look at it. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. The grace of God sustains us as we stand. In chapter 4, we've seen all these, especially these past few weeks, we've seen all these short, quick commands. 
We've seen what our belief looks like when it's put into action. We've seen how it's unity. We've seen how it's joy. We've seen how it's graciousness. It's a lack of worry. It's thankful prayer. It's right thinking. It's following God's examples. It's contentment. It's this greeting one another, this fellowship that we have seen. None of that is genuinely possible without the grace of God. Ask Yoda and Syntyche. <laughs> None of that's possible apart from the grace of God. But all of it is exactly what the grace of Jesus Christ produces in us. Chapter 4 has shown us what grace and action looks like. It's the grace of Jesus that sustains us as we stand and living out what is right. This is the grace that is with us, church. And so the reminder I want to give us this morning is that we may be finished in our journey through the book of Philippians, but God's grace is with us. So as we conclude, we won't do this with every book that we work through, but I want to read the entire book of Philippians one last time. So if you have a Bible, let me encourage you to open it up. <clears throat> Philippians chapter number one, verse one. Let's remind ourselves of the grace of God. And more than my words, let's just soak in the words of Scripture. Let's soak in the words of the Holy Spirit as we conclude this series. Philippians 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. 
I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete. By thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless, pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character, because he has served with me in the gospel ministry, like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him to you soon, so as I see how things are going with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. 
However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and, you may, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his own life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was gained to me, I consider to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I'll somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I've already reached the goal, or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. We're getting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if any of you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example that you have in us. For I have often told you, and I now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They're focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved for and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly because you once again renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. I know both how to make do with a little and how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I can, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left for Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. Even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I've received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided. A fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greeting. All the saints send you greeting, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how your grace is with us. And Lord, when we consider how magnificent your name is throughout all the earth, when we consider all that you have done, when we consider the heavens, the work of, the, of your fingers, the moon and the stars, like the psalmist in Psalms 8, Lord, we're just kind of blown away. And we have to ask ourselves, what are we that you would remember us? What are we that you would pour out such lavish grace to us? And Lord, all we can do is respond. in response is praise, is worship. It's humble adoration. And so I pray in these next few moments as we sing that our hearts would be lifted in humble praise and adoration for the sustaining grace of God that you have so lavishly given us. And I pray that as we leave here this morning, we wouldn't leave and forget, but that we would leave and be reminded that the grace of God is with us. And tomorrow morning when we get up and we go to our jobs and when we are confronted with difficulties and when we're confronted with struggles, Lord, I pray that we would remember the grace of God is with my spirit. And in those moments when we're engaging our children and we're trying to be good parents and we're trying to point our children to you, but we feel so inadequate, I pray that we would remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with our spirit. Lord, as we perhaps go to school tomorrow and as we're confronted with all the things we have yet to learn and all the deadlines that we have to meet, I pray that we would be reminded the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with our spirit. Lord, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in tomorrow, many are confronted with sickness, many are confronted with losing loved ones. Many are confronted with suffering. Many are in the middle of new beginnings. Many are in the middle of exciting opportunities, Lord. 
But whatever our circumstances, I pray that we would remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with our spirit. We ask this in your name.